Good morning. Welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast. This is Ada, and I am really excited about the episode that I have for you today. This was previously recorded conversation that I had with now my very good friend, Sarah Newcomb. If you don't know Sarah Newcomb yet, you need to know her. She is amazing. She is a member of the Tsinsian Native American tribe. She works as a freelance editor and writer and blogger. She has a blog called LamaniteTruth.com, and she's essentially trying to educate and, you know, help people to understand that the teaching that the church has always taught about where the Lamanites are and who they are and where they came from, that that teaching is incredibly dangerous and harmful to Native Americans. Um, Because just imagine, I I know when I was first introduced to her or when I first became aware of her, uh, I think I I listened to a Mormon Stories episode with her and a couple of other Native American women, and it just blew me away, this idea that not only did they discover that the church wasn't true and that, you know, the thing they dedicated their lives to was made up and was a fraud, but also their very identity, who they were told that they were. They were always taught that they were a Lamanite, that they came from Lehi and Laman and Lemuel. And not only that, but that they came from the part of the family that was unrighteous and that their you know, skin was cursed because of it. And just all of these things. And when you dig into this topic, it is amazing how much is there. I was blown away. I went to her blog and I've read, I've read almost everything on her blog. Um, Maybe there's a few that I've missed, but um, she has you know, just a lot about the teachings from the church. She's really researched like all the manuals and um, she's got some old missionary Lamanite handouts. Oh my gosh. That are, you know, that are meant to give to Native Americans to explain to them who they are. And it's just mind blowing. Um, You know, in the Book of Mormon, it talks about how Columbus was led to America and how it was the promised land. And there's a conversation about how, you know, the the Lamanites, because of their unrighteousness, were the the promised land was taken from them. Um, all of this stuff. And it's just it it just captivated me to learn this and to try to wrap my head around what, you know, was actually done and, and all the harm that was that was done for these people. Um, she also talks about when the pioneers settled in Utah and some of the conflicts between the natives who were already here and, and them and, and goes into, you know, just the, the absolute genocide that happened in America because of, you know, white settlers, colonization, all of this stuff. So, and just a little disclaimer, when we recorded this episode, we we actually weren't planning on recording an episode. We were we were planning to meet and talk about recording an episode. And then, you know, a couple of minutes into the conversation, she said, you should be recording this. And so I said, you know what? I will. So we went ahead and recorded it. And we really just had a conversation. It was we had no outline. <laughs> um, we really didn't have any sort of um 
set things that we were going to talk about. We just had a really great conversation. And this was the first time that we had um, actually talked. We had messaged each other quite a bit before that, but this was our very first conversation. And as you can see, like we just hit it off. We just, you know, immediately felt really comfortable talking to each other and, and had a really fun conversation. And as it turned out, she was coming to Utah the, the following week. And so we scheduled a time to meet up and go to lunch. And we spent several hours together just laughing and talking. And she is just a dear friend at this point. And I was so happy to be able to meet her and to get to know her and to learn so much about the Native American people through her. So I love this conversation. It may seem a little bit disjointed and, and you know, not very organized, but hey, that's just how conversations go. But just so you know, we are planning to have another conversation where we kind of dive a little bit deeper into very specific topics and where we talk about what needs to change in the church in order for Native Americans, for this to not keep being perpetuated, this idea that Native Americans came from the family of Lehi. And so we're we're going to have some more conversations. And I even told her, like, I would love to have you on the podcast all the time um, because she's just really that great. So if you want to learn more about this topic, definitely go to her blog, LamanitetTruth.com, her website, and check it out and read some of those blog posts. And you're, if your heart is not completely torn in two, um, then are, are, do you even have a heart? I don't know. But um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing. And I feel a deep respect for Native people, for how they lived, for the way in which they care for the earth and love all human beings and you know, the earth is so important to them and they're a gentle, wise, incredibly wise people. And um, so I'm just so excited to share this conversation with you and to introduce you to Sarah and to have you kind of come along on this journey with me while I'm learning all of these things. And I hope to do a lot more episodes down the road. So here you go. When you were like, I've read almost every single one of your posts, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. You know, that was why I was like, oh, we need to be recording this because <laughs> like, yeah. what? that's a lot to read. <laughs> I know. And it's taken me months. I'm not going to lie. Like, it's taken me a lot of time. And I was going to say, like, that's why I was pulling up my notes, because I probably have, I don't know, five pages of notes of just like things that stood out to me or things that I wanted to ask you about or talk to you about. But like I was starting to say earlier, like just that first week I, I consumed quite a bit. And then it was like, Oh my gosh, I, I, this is so heavy. It's hard for me to even like digest it all. It was almost yeah. like my brain just wanted to like ignore it or like be in denial about it. And so I really had to like scale back and be like, okay, I can spend a little bit of time this day, but then I need a couple days to process. And then, and then I'll go back and I'll spend an, and I'll read one more, you know, like I really had to like pace myself because I'm super new to this entire subject. Okay. Like literally I'm probably one well, of that's how I feel like most people are like most members don't even realize, you know, like no, just kind of I, the only reason I 
because I was labeled Lamanite, I know about it. But if I wasn't, you know, I would be the same. Yeah. There's like, you have no reason to Mm -hmm. know about it. Like if it doesn't affect you, you just kind of like people don't take the time. Yeah. If it's, if it's not part of your experience, there's not, yeah, it's just not in front of you. And that's not, it's not a bad thing. Like, it's just, it's just the way we are as humans. We can only handle so much. Like we can only be aware of so much. And even after like leaving, there's so much I've learned about how to support BIPOC people that I'm like, Mm -hmm. why, why didn't I know this? You know, like Mm -hmm. I had this experience, but there's so much I've had to learn about black experiences and Pacific Islander experiences and totally, you know, like it's just, it doesn't stop. I just keep learning and learning and LGBTQ experiences. That was one of the first things that I started like learning about, but it's, it's 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 one of those things where like the, like white privilege comes into play because me just living my life, being a straight white person, I didn't, I, I wasn't faced with the issue. Right. And so it's like, we just kind of stay in our own little world and, and it's really unfortunate but until you're kind of like thrown into it and forced into like having to learn about the things, you just don't. And and that yeah. is unfortunate because I think we can all we can all stand to learn a lot, right? Um, and yes, the LGBTQ issue came up because my daughter came out for about four years ago. And so that was the first kind of big thing where I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap. And and I think like when you start recognizing like some of these social issues, it really opens your mind to all the other ones. Right. And it's kind of connected in a way because they're all marginalized groups of people. And so when you kind of open your heart and, and empathize with one group, it kind of feels natural to kind of, it kind of goes into other areas. And so, yeah, for sure. The LGBTQ stuff was the, biggest and most significant part of my testimony shattering like Mm -hmm. yeah there's times where I'm like if I wasn't trying to stay focused on the Lamanite stuff because there needs to be some consistency and at least you know more Mm -hmm. than you know there's a few of us out there that are writing about it but yeah it's not talked about very much or acknowledged and so I'm like all right but if I wasn't doing this like the LGBTQ stuff hits close to home yeah. And I just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have like small memories of when I was a child, like there was a few years of my life where I lived in New Mexico in like Las Lunas, Berlin and Albuquerque. We kind of, it was like three years in a row we moved to those different cities, but I, I was exposed to quite a few Native Americans in that area. I don't, I don't know, like, apparently there's some reservations there um, in the nearby areas, but like my mom took us to like some, I, I, what are they even called? Like something where they're like kind of showcasing some of their culture and their traditions and stuff. Like a powwow? Maybe, maybe it was a powwow, but like, So I saw, you know, I saw a few things and I was kind of exposed to it. And that was really when I probably first learned that, oh, these are the Lamanites from the Book of Mormon. And that was where that idea was first starting to, and I was, you know, five, six years old. Well, and as children, we're raised with all the positive about the Book of Mormon, right? So 
it's not like this negative idea because you don't fully understand it's being treated as a historical document, right? Yes. So it's yes. just, oh, it's real. And there's the Lamanites and I'm a Lamanite or, yeah. Like I, as a child, I went to the Hilkamore pageant and oh, did saw you really? lots of stuff like that. Yeah, I went to a number of pageants and Ooh. it didn't, it didn't cross my mind as a child to how wrong it was. You know, yeah. like it was just totally. internalized, internalizing everything in this narrative, but. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember thinking it was really interesting and fascinating. And I loved, you know, all the, all the things that I learned, like I, I thought it was all really fascinating and, and, you know, in New Mexico, we had a much more diverse ward. We had a lot of Brown people in my ward and it was more like, you know, that was expected. And I have, you know, my, my sister had a, a, a black friend, you know, but like shortly after that, we moved to Provo, Utah. And it was like, I never saw that again, <laughs> never again. The rest of my life, I lived it. I lived in Provo and, and Utah County and no diversity whatsoever. I wasn't exposed to anything after that. So there's kind of just like those small memories way back. But, and I think I mentioned like in my email to you that my my aunt is Native American. She, you know, by marriage, um, she's my aunt by marriage, but she, so she married my uncle and, but like, I really didn't know her very well. And I don't, I didn't know anything about her. So that was another one where like, I need to get to know her and I need to ask her about her experiences in her life. And, and um, yeah, so, so all of that has been super super eye-opening. Um, I kind of got super interested a couple of years ago when like they started talking about, like they found like the, the graves of, of indigenous children yeah. who were put in those, uh, schools, I guess. Did they even call them schools? What are they like? Yeah, there, well, there's a few different kinds of schools. Um, uh... like there's the day schools. Eventually they moved a little bit more to day schools. But most of them were boarding schools. So boarding schools. from the very beginning, yeah, the boarding schools were the most toxic environment because they take the kids completely from the families. And yeah, I could get into that history some. It's really heavy. It's extraordinarily dark. Yeah, it's uh, so all I can painful. say is it was it was genocide. Yes, and it yes. was war on children. Yes, like, it was and the on their children. culture, right? Like they were trying to erase. They were, the purpose was to erase culture, but they also used children for experiments. Ugh. And they were, if, if there's a few records of if a boarding school got, had more kids coming in, then kids would disappear. Um, there was a lot of punishments. There was electric, electric chairs in a basement. There were handcuffs. Oh. There was the abuse and... Um, genocide were were significant not just cultural genocide but just literal genocide just genocide um, of what was done to the children yeah and like most people don't realize that the population of indigenous people in the americas was 60 million plus and that it was just as like populated as like south america and all these other places and they're like oh it was the measles and you know disease and i'm like no it was is strategic and on purpose. And yeah. there's there's records of military giving measles blankets on purpose mm -hmm. to the on indigenous purpose. peoples. There's records of water sources being poisoned. There's yep. 
like Trail of Tears. Yeah. It, and it, sadly, it continues. There's still stuff being done. So yeah, it's heavy history. And that's where I was in my teens, you know, mm -hmm. and by my teens, I was reading the Book of Mormon as a history book, no longer mm -hmm. as, you know, because that's how it's taught to us as mm -hmm. literal history. Mm -hmm. And then while I'm learning like about indigenous history, it just, it just broke my heart. It got too much of being like, oh, and I know I've said this a number of times, but I, to people, but it was like, I had this moment of if only our ancestors had been righteous, Ugh. then all these people, all these families, all the children wouldn't have been killed and swept from the earth, right? Swept from the promised land. Yeah, um, you felt like it was a punishment for their- Well, that's what it's, that's what it's taught as oh, yeah. the Book of Mormon. Like Lehi, yes. Lehi teaches his sons before he's passing, he talks to them and he's like, we've been given this promised land, but if you're not good, mm -hmm. if we're not good, then then the land will be Taken. no longer protected. Yeah. Um, and that that's where the actual curse comes in. And then the sign of the curse is skin, but the actual curse is God removes his spirit and the land's no longer protected. And so, yeah, I was reading so all that history. you see that curse playing out mm -hmm. in history. Like, you're like, this yeah. happened. Like, Trail of Tears was part of that. Everything that happened to the indigenous peoples where Columbus landed was part of that. And so, yeah, I couldn't read. I couldn't read the Book of Mormon. It really, because it's all in the first, you know, first Nephi, second Nephi, where it talks about prophesying of what's going to happen to the indigenous people of the Americas, right? It's. It's where Christopher Columbus is mentioned is it's all yes. in second Nephi and it's mm -hmm. all at the beginning. And those are the two books that most people read the most, right? Cause we'll be like, Oh, I'm going to read the book of Mormon this year. And you pull it out and you make it like, I don't know. Isaiah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And then you're like, well, the Isaiah that? part. And you're like, no, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And then you start um, over. Yeah. And I couldn't read the beginning. Mm. I got to the point that's where, where they set up. That's where they set up Laman and Lemuel, mm -hmm. the story of them. And, and the Lamanites are their descendants. So the, it's like the beginning story of like this whole group of people came from these two unrighteous boys, you know, who like were terrible to their brother and to their father. And, you know, and it, it like spells out all of their misdeeds and all of their mistakes. And then you are their children, right? Yep, yeah. And it's just like this lecture of like, these these two were unrighteous and they, what? what's all the terms they use? I don't know. It's just, they murmured, right? They were the murmurs. They were the, they were the ones who did all the bad things. And you're like, yeah. Why can't Laman and Lemuel be more like Nephi? And I mean, there's just this whole idea, right? And that's where it all starts from. I think I actually have some of it open. So hang on. Ooh. I was working on something I'm writing. Yeah. But, uh, let me just look for a minute. Here it is. Okay. First Nephi 1223. Okay. Um, and it came to pass that I beheld after they dwindled in unbelief, they became a dark and loathsome people and a filthy people full of idleness and all manner of abominations. Mm -hmm. And uh, in First Nephi, the next chapter, 1312, 
which really the chapters break it up, but it's like, what, like eight sentences later, <laughs> you know, or yeah, yeah. 12, you know, sentences later. And I looked and beheld a man among the Gentiles who was separated from the seed of my brethren wow. by the many waters. And I beheld the spirit of God that it came down and wrought upon the man, which this is who Christopher Columbus is in the lesson manuals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, we know where that keeps going all in first Nephi chapter 13, uh, 12, 13. And then in uh, second Nephi, the first chapter is pretty intense too. So it's all like uh, they, yeah. they break it up. Mm -hmm. But I think they break it up on purpose to some degree. So you're not like maybe. putting it together. Ooh, maybe, but yeah. It's, I, I, I just couldn't get past it. I couldn't get past it once I started learning indigenous history. Yeah. And yeah, I, I know with Lamanite identity, like, oh, which group's the Lamanites? Now it's like, you know, and, and there's this like, oh, the church has never identified a specific group as a Lamanite, but they technically have. You know, with totally the are. Lamanite uh, missions, mm -hmm. um, with temple like dedications <laughs> in South America, it's almost like it, it's always dedicated to the children of Lehi because those two brothers were so bad. They were like, well, let's use grandpa, you know, like children of Lehi is, is a term you'll hear a lot in place mm -hmm. of Lamanites. But out of everybody, and this is what what I'm working on writing right now is out of everybody that's been labeled Lamanite, the Taino people who greeted Christopher Columbus mm -hmm. were peaceful and gentle and helped them. And then anybody that wants to learn about what Christopher Columbus and his men actually did, go do it. <laughs> it's heavy. It's, it is the heaviest thing I've ever read. It's heavy. So the church putting the Taino people as being literal Lamanites like that those are the one people if they're gonna treat it as a historical document say Christopher Columbus mm -hmm. went unto the seed of my brethren who were in the promised land like yeah. having those people that experienced massive trauma and genocide yeah on a level that is horrific having them be labeled as Lamanite like that that's really rough <laughs> And there's this idea that um, that they deserved what they got because of their unrighteousness, right? Yeah. So there's this justifying of what Christopher and his people. Yeah, were. it wasn't Christopher Columbus and his men. It was well, your your people turned away from God because you're not Christians, right? Yep. So it's really so. manifest destiny, the and mm. and doctrine of the discovery. So that's, yes. Yeah, I have in my in my Book of Mormon that I took on my mission. I do you remember um, the the like stickers that you could put in that would show like a picture of what was happening, but it was like a see through picture so you could mm -hmm, see mm -hmm. scriptures. I had those all over my scriptures, and on my mission, you know, the little kids loved those. They wanted to see my scriptures and stuff, and I remember that specific part because it has a picture of Christopher Columbus, you know, and I had the big thing circled and Christopher Columbus written in the margins of my scriptures. I mean, that was very well understood to be what they were talking about, even though, of course, they never used his name, but. No, they do. It's in I the mean, lesson. Yes, manual. in the actual Book of Mormon, it doesn't say his name. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they do, they do yeah. say 
this was Christopher Columbus. And in fact, I even saw somebody on one of the ex-Mormon, you know, like uh, support pages, like posted a picture of uh, a primary, like a primary party invitation just this last year in 2022 on Columbus Day, they were doing like a primary activity about Columbus. What in the world? Like, I, I can't, I can't even. How is that still happening today? And they, and then people wonder why, like, this is where I have a problem with leadership, uh-huh. not the Mormon people. Like, I, I just was this like sweet kid Mm-hmm. <laughs> that loved going to church, loved being with my friends, loved the, you know, different programs that I was a part of. And I carried a lot of that, yeah, internal racism, internal sexism. And when I'd go home to my tribe on the reservation in Alaska, I'd have all these messed up views about why my family was more righteous and that I needed to save my people, right? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I had all those views, but at the core of it, I was just this like sweet kid that didn't know anything, you know, like you're a kid. I didn't leave until I was 38 and it was extraordinarily hard for me to leave. Like mm-hmm. it was hard, but we don't know. And there's something to be said for faith and prayer and community. So yeah, I, it, it's been awkward writing about these things that obviously challenge the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. but also wanting to like make space for hey it's okay if you pray it's okay if you believe it's you know like not wanting to take down religions altogether like are we going to take down traditional indigenous religions are we going to take down you know like there's so many religions around the world that yeah. i'm like i had to step back and i was like well how far do i take it <laughs> you know like it's it's kind of tempting to get to that place of like you know, being angry at all religion, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's so, you see so much oppression, so much abuse, and so much abusive systems in religion that for me, like, I had to be like, I, I have a hard time thinking that any religion is safe or healthy or good in any way. But yes, I think it really is important to try to hold space for people to, you know, practice whatever religion they want to, but that for me comes from like my indigenous healing is that indigenous people don't go out proselyting. No. I'm not trying to convert people. And if you have different beliefs, they're like, oh, tell me about them. And okay, cool. You know, that, that true love and freedom and acceptance of, you know what, I'm going to live my life over here, but you know, that's great. You live your life over there. And so for me, it was taught that we're taught that we're the Church. We're the ones, yeah. We're supposed to spread it to the world and yeah. everyone else to the truth, right? Yeah. And, and that's where I think things legitimize everyone else's religion and experience, right? Mm-hmm. So, like with that, one reason why I've tried to keep space for people mm-hmm. is because I don't want to become what I hate. Oh, yeah. And I. I do not have a positive view of Mormonism and people in my private life. When I talk to them, I let my true feelings be known. But when it comes to like speaking on this issue, there's a lot of indigenous people that have found 
peace and healing in different various religious groups. Yeah. And I'm not going to take away space for them. Yeah. So like what I want to focus on with challenging the Mormon church is not about their beliefs of the next life or pre-existence or yeah. that we existed before that we're going to exist after that there's a God that there, you know, that Jesus died for our sins, whatever, but whatever those beliefs are, but where I think that things go south for me is them treating, I'll, I'll rephrase this, them treating a spiritual document as a historical document and them treating that historical document as indigenous factual history. And then them teaching that supposed history to indigenous children. Yes. That is what is crazy offensive for me. And if, you know, we've kind of mentioned the LGBTQ issues, it's similar to me as we know science, we don't need to treat religion as science. Like there's something to be said for spiritual and connecting to others and to something beyond ourselves. So like, like I'm willing to keep space for that because of my indigenous beliefs mm. and because I don't want to become what I hate. Yeah. But I do draw a line like spiritual should not replace true history mm -hmm. of indigenous peoples. Spiritual should be that that freedom to just connect and believe in, you know, but yeah, they, they people have taken it too far and it's really interpretations like yeah. if. If there was any space I want to make for Mormonism, it'd be all right, you know, you can call it a spiritual book, you can call it inspired. It goes hand in hand for them with, you know, the Bible and believing in God and Christ and and like that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But there needs to be a much stronger and active backing away from it being historical because it not only hurts indigenous children for another generation and then another gen like yes. my I'm the only one in my family out of my siblings and my parents that left the church. And Ooh. so I know me speaking out on these issues is not a comfortable thing for them. And like, I want to have that respect and that space for them. But what has kept me going is if they could understand that there is no way for me to honor my ancestors unless I'm honoring the next generation. Yes. It is impossible. Yes. I love what you say on your blog about children, about the focus on, right? Like, yeah. That's and that's a new concept to me. Like that's, I think that's an indigenous, like a unique it is. indigenous thing. That's well, not something that I learned. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> now I'm going to get sidetracked. Let me just say, okay. I have done, because I'm mixed, I'm, I'm half Irish, and because I married a Scandinavian guy, mm -hmm. I have done a decent amount of research into pre-Christian okay. cultures. And there is a lot of beauty and, and balance with nature beliefs and Ooh. connection beliefs that I think I think that's why a lot of people connect to indigenous mm -hmm. beliefs is because that is naturally a part of their culture that they've been separated from long before I got separated from mine. 
many more generations. So, you know, I, it's hard because yeah, you, you probably didn't learn that growing up. It was all, oh, obey your parents, respect the, the past generations. It was all one-sided. That's also because it's patriarchy. Like my tribe's matriarchal. And that doesn't mean we don't have male leaders. It means that our values are focused on matriarchy, which is children, life, balance, connection, but we have male leaders and there's this beautiful respect. And my, and in my culture, uncles would also raise their sister's children once they got to a certain age. And so like a lot of how I've regained some of my balance is through my uncle. Like, and so some of the stuff he's taught me and like been connected with. And I think there's something very beautiful about masculine caretaking and sensitivity and connection that I think that's another thing that has been kind of lost and broken in society. But that's just my views and my thoughts. Like, yeah, it's not like I'm like some professional. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that patriarchy. Okay, tell you can totally disagree with this. But in some ways, patriarchy has made me untrusting of men. Does that make sense? Like, I think, I think it also, I think it, uh, I think it throws so much out of balance that of course yeah. we're not going to trust. And I don't view patriarchy the same as other people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I'm just going to say it. I'll go ahead and like dig in, which these are again, just my views. Like these are just views. These are just opinions of me processing and looking at things because, okay, let me just start with when I had my son, my entire worldview changed, not just of like, oh, this is what it's like to have a boy. And this is what boys are like. Not that simple stuff. I unfortunately overthink everything. literally everything so it started with me looking at like as i was reading history church history and raising him i started looking at the pressures that boys are under to serve a mission and i know my son i know his emotions i know how intensely out of all my kids he's so intensely sensitive and gentle and he didn't want to serve a mission like we would have missionaries over all the time and he'd get excited and we'd all play. And, and then he was like asking about it once when he was like seven, you know, when they're talking about it at, at church a bunch. And he was like, do I have to serve a mission? I was like, well, you can, if you want to, but no, you don't have to. And I, I hadn't thought about it before I said it, but when he yeah. asked, that was my automatic response was no, you don't have to do it. Yeah. So I already knew I was a little, like I'd already processed a little bit due yeah. to reading church history. Right. And he, he they, we were at church and he was, we were in primary. I taught an older class, but we were in sharing time and they were asking all the boys who wants to serve a mission. All the boys raised their hands, except my son. Mm-hmm. And so they said, oh, Ethan, you don't want to serve. And he was like, my mom says I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> like, everybody turned around looked at me. I was like, oh. <laughs> Like I genuinely had less people wanting to hang out and talk with me after that. Like there was a definite like shift in how I was treated by the people I served with in primary. That's okay. I was totally fine with it because I was nearing the end of my, Yeah, that was about a year before we left. But yeah, even before all the church stuff, 
I was always looking at how stressful it was for boys to be sole providers or to not be able to be emotional with their kids or to be just trapped by these like, and it's probably some because of how I was raised with that indigenous influence going home to Alaska and seeing how, how the men were there. Like my grandmother was the matriarch mm-hmm. When the men were around my grandmother. She, she was like, she was so gentle and so loving. And like, there would be people from all over the community that would come to see her. And there was people after she passed away that have asked to be buried next to her. And it was starting to have so many people that they're like, we got to save space for her kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, all right, everyone. Because in, in our, well, at least what was modeled for me and what I was taught from my grandmother is the younger the child, the more you respect them. Mm-hmm. And so in my culture, it wasn't respect your elders, you know, like in the Mormon culture, how it's demanded respect. In my culture, it was respect the children. And there was some of that influence of colonization where there would be some of that patriarchy type stuff, but it never overpowered the matriarchy. It never fully succeeded in overpowering. And so I think being exposed to that, like that beautiful kind of balance that I was with watching my uncles around my grandma Mm-hmm. and experiencing their love for me and how they treat me and reach out to me. Like I have a lot of uncles and there's the one that I talk to every week, every few weeks, but then there's the others that all reach out to me at different times. So raising my son, I already had kind of that different view, but we were going to talk about patriarchy, which is what I'm getting to, which is <laughs> I don't view patriarchy as male centered is yeah. that it's power over men. Ooh, yes. Patriarchy is power of those in power over other males. Because when I was reading about polygamy, when I was reading about the things that happened and I'm looking at my son, I'm like, he's the reason I couldn't stop studying. He's the reason I wouldn't put down. And I mean, I've got these three daughters. You think, oh my gosh, you know, they're going to face the same things I did. I had so much of that internalized that I couldn't see it. But having my one son, I could see it because I was like, removed from it. Patriarchy and the system was just as damaging to men as it was. Polygamy was power over other men. Like, look at what he would do with, Joseph would do with sending people away on missions. Look at, um, there was this one kid that got forcibly castrated. Yes. That was the beginning of me saying, you don't have to serve a mission, Ethan. Like that was the beginning of me understanding it's a power structure. Yes. It's not there. there the, yeah. The way, the way patriarchy has been treated has become, it, it's hard because like it traps all these beautiful, intense and complicated aspects of being male into this box. Yes. So I just want, I, it, it's like, I'm not against male leadership. It is beautiful, just like female leadership's beautiful. You know, there's there's that beautiful balance, but to me, it's yeah, it's about power over other men. Right. In um oh, I always forget what it's called because oh, Journal of Discourses. Because I was during my like deconstructing, I wouldn't look outside of church materials. Oh yeah. So I was just on like BYU reading historical documents. And then those overwhelmed me because I found out about the kid castrated. So I was like, oh, I can't ever read historical research again. Never again. I'm going to like lose my testimony. So I started reading lesson manuals and that's all I'd read. 
and I'd follow every single source mentioned, which so many lead back to the Journal of Discourse. Interesting. So many. And then I'd read those quotes in context and be like, that does not mean what they used it for. Oh my God. It is so different. But in the Journal of Discourse, I learned that women could temple divorce the man they're with to marry a higher priesthood leader. Like if he had a higher priesthood, you could temple divorce to marry somebody else with a higher priesthood. No freaking way. I've never. That was mentioned in that. Yeah. And I was like, there it is again. Like this power over other men. I mean, I'm not saying polygamy wasn't about other things. Right. But it was definitely uh, a big part of it was having power over other men. Like, look what I got. Yes. You know, like, oh, that's who you want? No, you can't have her. I have a higher priesthood. Yes. So. And, and also like, I'm going to give you a gift of another wife, but that's still my power over you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like Joseph would be like, I'm going to let you in on my inner circle and I'm going to let you in on this and I'm going to let you have her, but not her. And it was very much, uh, it was a way for him to control the men too. And when people were typically during that time period, when people got married, they married somebody close in age. So the young men that wanted to marry their girlfriends, obviously they couldn't fight the person with a higher priesthood power and leader and Totally. Yeah. It. I don't and know. then they were castrated. <laughs> well, the one guy was. Yeah. He was put oh. into a crazy house eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, of course he was. Yeah. For I mean, that's absolutely expected. Okay, you are the first person I've ever heard say that in their like deconstructing of Mormonism that they read the manuals. But it makes sense. Like that seems like a really good reference guide or a way to like learn all the things that the church is actually teaching. Because that's that's a big one for me. Because when you talk to Mormons, you know, you talk to TBMs and you say like this or this or this doctrine, and they're like, oh, they don't teach that. But for you to read the manuals, you could be like, yes, they do. Like you could have a reference point to say, this is what they are actively teaching right now today. Yeah. I love that about your ability to like, because you're so knowledgeable in that area. Like, whereas I've never read the manuals. Like, I mean, when I taught primary, I did, or when I taught Sunday school, I did, but like, that's it. Like, I well, it was my people's history. <gasps> yeah. Like I, that's how, that's the type of Mormon I was, was it was my history. I was a Lamanite. I was one of the more righteous Lamanites because you know, yeah, you were better than all the other Lamanites. My mom, my mom, yeah, she joined the church and she got us on this path. And and even if we couldn't convert our family, once they'd pass away, mm. we would do their work a year later. And so my mom would do everybody's work and I was going to inherit that job. And so even if it was after death, we would make sure that our family had an opportunity to get on the right path. <laughs> yeah. And when you talk about the the blog about your grandmother and how heartbreaking it is that you spent the time that you had with her in in somewhat judgment of her, like feeling like she wasn't as good as you or she needed saved. She needed. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Redemption for my people. Yeah. And then recognizing that you can't get that time back. That's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't discuss religion, at least Mormonism much, but there was one time she tried to pull me aside and I snapped at her and I, I still can't believe I did because knowing who my grandma is and how she treats everyone around her, I look back and I'm horrified and I'm like, okay, yeah, I was a kid, but I will never stop being horrified Mm. that I defended Mormonism and snapped at her for what she said. And she didn't even see anything rude. She was just trying to like teach me and open my eyes a little bit. Yeah. And she didn't hold it against me. She treated me the same afterwards. But she yeah. been really angry about that and treated you differently afterward. But yeah. that shows like her character of like, she fully respected you even as a child. See, this concept is so foreign to me. When you say like, respect the children. Like I never once heard that in my entire life. It was always respect your elders, respect your elders. Kids were not listened to. Their opinions were not taken into account. Their feelings weren't really validated. It was very much like you just do what you're told and you don't need to know why and no excuses and you just do it. That's just what you do. And I, and that's how I parented too, which is what's horrifying for me. Like now I can look back and be super horrified at the way I parented because I did not, I did not have those feelings about children. It was you, you're just like basically putting up with their childness until they grow out of it. There is some degree of like, it's not like my grandma or all my people are perfect. Like parents, (laughs) you know, it's hard. Yes. And there is some of that where you're just like enough, <laughs> like, yes. enough of this and enough of that. And we've yeah. got to do this. But yeah, when it came to our elders, like the ones that are treated, you know, there's people that get older that are called elders. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are leaders that are elders okay. that, that hold it. You know, when indigenous people say our elders, it's, it's not every single person that's gotten older. And the ones that we do respect and treat in that certain way, and we respect all our older people, but there's this like degree of how much they've given back. It's not something that they've demanded. Your elder doesn't demand respect. Those elders simply have respect because we give it in mass amounts because they've earned it. Yeah. And that is done through respecting the children. The younger the child, the more you respect them. So comparing my, my white grandma and my Cynthia grandma and the experiences I had, like I could distinctly see the differences because I was exposed to them, but at home, yeah, it was a bit, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know. My, there was enough of my family and my mom <laughs> yeah. that, that it wasn't super strict, but that respect that demand to respect the prophet and the elders and the bishop and yeah like when i heard about the second anointing that their their place in heaven was made sure and any mistakes from there on were like i was like well where's the accountability in that that was that was a rough one for me to deconstruct and that's why i that's yeah that's another part of why i kind of separate leadership from just from the people followers yeah like 
I don't even expect the leadership to be perfect. Right. Like, Nobody they does. Don't, that was they don't have to be perfect. Right, but right. they are taking their time to sign off on lesson manuals. And I would like to ask them, are you honest in all your dealings with Native Americans? Mm-hmm. Are you honest in all your dealings about Native Americans? Because that's a temple question. Are you honest in your dealings with your fellow man? And right. if, if there's this like snap decision that you make, you can't be perfect. And I also acknowledge they've inherited a big giant mess. Oh yeah. Like how do you deconstruct Lamanite identity when you've got all these people believing they're Lamanites because of all these generations of past Mormon leaders? Mm-hmm. Like that's a big mess to inherit. Right. <laughs> but, but at some point somebody needs to start adulting. Totally. Like it can't be another generation of indigenous children and another generation of indigenous children and another, you know, yeah. that are having this mislabeled as Christopher Columbus and the Taino people who he greeted were apparently the descendants of Laman and Lemuel, you know, like that needs to stop. So do you think that they kind of have the attitude of like, I'm just going to let the next guy deal with it because it feels like um, you have a problem to try and fix? I actually think there's a lot of effort at the top yeah by by people not agreeing oh interesting people aren't agreeing it's because some people do want to have that change some people do want to make corrections do they have the power to do it no because there's also people in power pushing back saying no we don't want the change and it it kind of reminds me of the whole split in our country you know Mm -hmm. of hey this needs to be done and the people that want to make the change can't because of pushback from those that want it to stay the same. I think the age of information has made human understanding change at such a rapid pace on such a global scale that religions are in a bit of a shock right now. Politics are in a bit of a shock right now because we're being faced with a lot. Yeah. And it's almost like they have to try and catch up because yeah, because of how quickly the information yeah. has. So I, I, like, I, I think, <laughs> I think, well, especially with the amount of money they have, but even with like the people and because the people I went to church with their hearts, their love, their kindness, you know, I, I think Mormonism could survive the storm if they were able to gently focus on, Hey, we made these mistakes. We're not going to label anybody Lamanite. Yeah. We don't know who they are, where they are. We don't know if it was Christopher Columbus or not. We're going to back away from these interpretations and treat it as a spiritual manual, not a historical document. And we're not going to put that on anybody anymore. I'd love to see them approach LGBTQ in a completely different way. That that one's harder because they're so centered on it's an attack on family when I'm like, uh yeah I, yeah that's a whole nother that's a whole nother thing that's yeah. a whole nother thing that once i get going i'll be a little angry about so i'm like oh that's there's yeah. a lot of really intelligent people speaking out about that and i'm still i feel like i'm still in a learning phase granted it's been a couple years of me learning but yeah but do you think like it's kind of this thing where they're between a rock and a hard place because if they come out and say Hey, we were wrong about this, or or we don't know where these people came from, or or you know the Christopher Columbus thing, or if they if they like made a statement about that, 
would that, are, are they then thinking, well, that's going to shatter all these people's testimonies. So we can't do that. People's testimonies are already shattering. If they want to save the spirituality, they have to back away from the factual. Mm. And there is something to be said for saving the spirituality side of things. There is something to be said for, you know, saving the culture and the, there is this like Mormon culture that's kind of funky and unique and, you know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're not between a rock and a hard place. They're between the only path that they can take and those not wanting to take it. There is only one path. There's not two paths. Interesting. Yeah. Like if they don't change it, what's it going to do in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years when there's more information, more understanding and the rest of the country and world has educated themselves to an even higher degree. And there's the Mormon saying Christopher Columbus was guided by God and the Taino people were Laman and Lemuel's descendants. Like, you know, it, I can understand why so many people were confused and believed, you know, and interpreted it the way they did mm-hmm. because it was how Joseph Smith interpreted everything. Oh. And so it just got passed on, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing worth saving with Mormonism. But if Mormonism does not act honest in its dealings, and I don't mean perfect, I mean just making attempts to act honest in its dealings, which I think it's fully capable of doing. Yes. Then then that's what they lose. They lose the respect that they could have if they were willing to face those hard issues. And I th- I don't know. I, I'm always stupidly optimist. <laughs> optimistic. You'd think I'd learned my lesson by now, but um, people in power don't stay in power forever. Yes. And there's always shifts. So I don't know. With me writing the blog and processing, it was all because I wanted people who had left that were like me to have somebody that they looked at and they're like, Oh my gosh, I went through that too. Or the first episode I did on Mormon stories was episode 757. Did you listen to that one? The very Is first that one. The one with um just John and I. Oh, okay, that's just with you. Yeah, that was in like 2017, so it's old. Yes, I think um, I did. I had gone back and listened to that later. Yes. Yeah, like talking about the skin issues and wearing sunscreen and staying in the shade and that was really embarrassing and hard for me to talk about. Like I was so embarrassed, but I was like, I'm doing it. I know I can't be the only one. And so I just wanted to put it out there and be like, all right, if you experience this, you're not alone. And what was the feedback you got? I had a lot of people reach out to me quietly that because it is, it is traumatic and embarrassing. And a lot of people, well, a lot, there's, there's a handful of people that talked about how their mom did the same thing. Like I know Monica uh, Crowfoot on the on the episode I was with her and Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, she talked about how her mom used, or how I don't know if it was her and her mom or if it was just her. Maybe like it was just lemon Monica. juice. Used the lemon juice and stuff, and yeah, so it was like similar experience that Monica and I had, except I'm mixed and I I have a lot of very <laughs> extreme differences depending on what my activity level is outside. Yeah. So it's easier for me to look white and delightsome. Mm. All I have to do is wear sunscreen. All I have to do is stay out of the sun. 
Yeah. So like this summer, it was like 104 here for like weeks. Texas is insane with heat this last year. I mean, it was longer than we'd ever experienced that I'd ever experienced in that kind of heat. So like I wasn't even outside this last summer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah. But for her, it was different. Like she had to actively like try to. Yeah, and I, I was so impressed. I'm like, just I loved how vulnerable I had so much respect for her sharing that because I'm like, we're, we're not the only ones and her version and her experience with it is different than mine. Having those various, all those different experiences is good. Yeah. You know, one person's experience doesn't define everybody's. Right. But it's still good to share them so that we can kind of understand what's happening and get a bigger scope of what's happening and more people can relate because not everybody's going to relate to mine. You know, there's going to be indigenous people that never experienced what I did, never looked at or had the difficulty reading the Book of Mormon that I did, didn't overthink everything and dig deep into history and apply Book of Mormon teachings to the Trail of Tears. Yeah. You know, there, there, there's going to be indigenous people that have had healthy, happy experiences being Mormon. So it's like... Yeah. I'm not gonna, it, my voice is not the only one. Right. But yeah, I don't envy the church or the, I, I do not envy the leaders because mm. it's, I look at what was done in the Pacific Islands, Hawaii specifically with, with the cultural center and the teachings. And I'm like, that's a lot to unpack because you have a beautiful, incredible people mm-hmm. that truly embraced it. And so sometimes when I'm speaking out, I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, it's heavy and it's hard because in the end, it's the people that matter to me. The church doesn't matter to me. Like it, I've happily gotten to a, you know, it's been six years. So I've happily worked through a lot of issues. I'm surprised I, I go to therapy. (laughs) So like sometimes issues come up and I'm like, wow, really? Like. I was laughing with my therapist's last last visit and I was like, I pay you to listen to this. <laughs> you just have to hear me vent. But yeah. it surprises me sometimes. Yeah. The thing that me and my therapist were talking about last time is how this this whole like process is not linear. Like we aren't just like going along the path in a linear fashion. It's back and forth and up and down and it's you know, I think I've figured out one thing and then something throws me back into this total angry phase again. I'm like, I thought I was over this, you know? And there is that amount of like, like um, I've talked about in my podcast before, like this manual that I have about how it's supposed to go and how I'm supposed to deconstruct and how I'm supposed to work through it. And so I have a lot of shoulds of like, I should be past this or I should be over this or I should have, you know, come further or whatever, but yeah, I find myself going back and forth all the time. And I think, you know, overall I'm ahead of where I was in the beginning, but there's still a lot of like one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps, or whatever, you know, it's, it's hard. It's not a simple thing. And when you learn new information, it brings up a whole bunch more feelings and emotions and thoughts and and all the things. So yeah. So even just like researching this topic of 
you know, the natives and the Indian placement program and, you know, um, gosh, the, when the Mormons settled in Utah, I've been learning a lot about those indigenous people in particular. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with Brigham Young and John D. Lee and, you know, Jacob Hamblin and, and these members of the church and their encounters with the indigenous people of Utah is really, really hard. Like and understanding that genocide happened in Utah. Yes. Is, is really, it was, it was a shock to me. There was, there's been four or five times where I was like, all right, I'm going to wrap up my blog. Like originally I was only going to write for a year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and then the more I'd learn, I was like, oh, I got, I got to keep just like posting stuff or writing or, and it was so limited. But the more I learned about Utah history, I was like, as a Tsimtsian woman, I did not experience that, but I will never stop talking about things because in, in a very, I mean, it's just a small way that I can, but in just for me personally, I need to support their history. I need to speak out about their history. It's not my history. And so I try to like talk about the Lamanite stuff in general. Mm. Um, when it comes to Utah, I, I've written a few things about like what's happened there and dug into it. And it was so hard, like realizing what the people went through with Mormonism, because I had such a love for Mormonism and I had such a connection to it growing up and a love for the people that realizing I belonged to this group, you know, I'm an indigenous Mormon that belonged to Mormonism that destroyed the culture that lived there and the population was destroyed and their lands were taken and they were forced onto barren lands, basically like lands that weren't as productive and, and And it was purposeful. That wasn't just a coincidence that the land they were given was barren and had no water and things like that. Like that was incredible. That was on purpose. Yes. And then reading that Brigham Young said, you know, the women and children can live if they behave themselves, if not. And like all those children that were rescued, mm-hmm. you know, and given to white Mormon families, <sighs> knowing that their parents were killed or, yes. you know, so many of their people were killed. And I, I couldn't look at Mormonism the same after that. Like yeah. I make space for people to be faithful and I want I don't want to like become what I hate basically and just like shame everybody for their beliefs or whatever they're doing but in my personal life I will never view Mormonism the same because of Utah's history yes because of what those kids went through yeah what I'm trying to remember the story I'm going back in my notes because I thought I made a note about this but Man, there was the story about Sekinab. Maybe was that the the girl? The girl, and I think uh, a brother, but he wasn't her actual brother. Yeah, was also taken to a family and raised, and and then the dad ended up marrying her. Like, is that the yeah. story? Yeah, the much, much, much older dad married his stepdaughter basically his adopted or not stepdaughter but adopted daughter his adopted daughter after he had raised her from a much smaller child like maybe she was like six or something when she came yeah. 
live with the family. And then at like 16, he was told to marry her. Yeah, it's uh, Remembering Our Ancestors is the oh article. Gosh, that was so, so, so painful. Yeah. I cried through that one. Yeah. I cried because I was, oh my gosh, I was just thinking about how that must have felt. Well, and she was, she, she had a native guy that was interested in her yep. and they were like, no, you can't, no, you got to marry, you gotta marry daddy. <laughs> like, oh God, can you even? Yeah. Well, and also I thought it was really interesting and you pointed this out in that, in that blog post about the different ways that story was told. So yeah. it was told by indigenous people. It was told in this way. And when it was told by faithful members of the church, it was told this way. And I find that so interesting. And maybe, you know, maybe we can't just totally disregard the, the faithful story, but it is quite interesting that the faithful story benefits them in that, you know, uh, Porter Rockwell tells of, of how he came to find the, find the little girl and that, you know, it wasn't told that, oh, they slaughtered all of her family. You know, it was like, oh, we're rescuing her because we found her just among whatever. And it's just so interesting how whitewashed the stories come to us. Yeah. We're not getting the full story. And even like, as I'm reading your blog, like I learned way more about Utah history than I ever did in junior high Utah history. It's like, you know what I mean? Like learning the actual real stories was amazing to me because you get this picture of like the Mormon settlers and the, and the natives, oh, just getting along great and being great friends. And, and, oh, the Mormon settlers helped the natives and they gave them this and that, and, and that all benefited from this mutual relationship. Is that the story that you were told? Cause that's the story I was told. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And on my dad's side, I was, I think seventh generation Mormon. So my, my dad's a hatch and the oh, hatch family okay. goes back to the Nauvoo. Interesting. And so like, I look at that history and I feel so split and so frustrated and upset by what happened to the people in Utah. And yeah, it's heavy understanding that no, Mormons came in and they overfished, they overhunted, and they started taking things. And when the people whose land they destroyed couldn't fish, couldn't hunt, if they come and take one of your like livestock, suddenly yeah. that was a reason to kill them off. Right. Um, and they then were doing that because they were starving. Yeah. It was yeah. survival then, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything of theirs was already being stolen. Mm -hmm. And knowing that the Mormon church got a massive reimbursement from the government, that was really hard. Like knowing that they got paid to deal with the quote, <laughs> Indian problem, close quote. Yeah. I, it, it derailed just kind of my heart reading about all that stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was after that, that I was like, all right, I can't, there, there's been a few times since where I'm like, all right, I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to go live my life. You know, I'm just going to go live my life. I don't write a lot. It's not like it takes up a lot of my time, but I've kind of gotten past that now of that 
oh, this is so heavy and heartbreaking. And because if, if it affected me, then it affected my kids. If yes. it affects my well-being, then I'm like not balanced enough to deal with all the craziness that <laughs> just regular life brings. Like regular life's a lot as it is. Yes. So like I don't I don't know how historians do it sometimes. I couldn't be a historian. I just sit there crying all the time. <laughs> I'm like, it's too much for me. There's kind of I have kind of a love-hate relationship with it because yeah. I love learning about it. I love, I'm so fascinated by so much of it. But then it's draining comes with it, the sadness and the mourning of like, this is what, this is what actually happened. And there's kind of a disbelief, like not wanting to believe, you know, that that could have possibly happened. And that, you know, my ancestors were a part of that, you know, because I'm, I don't know how far back uh, my Mormon history goes back to the beginning. So yeah, it's, it's really, really difficult. And why, okay, there's, there's some of the really beautiful things that I've learned about natives is just how much they care about the earth and how they figured out how to not destroy the earth while also using the resources of the earth to sustain them, Mm -hmm. doing it in a way that did not destroy the earth. And I'm sorry, we could have learned, we we should have learned those things, you know, like. Oh, that, that brings me back to what I was saying about pre-colonized culture. Yes. Like when I was researching my husband's uh, past and culture, the, the people used to pray over trees when they'd cut them down. Ooh. Reading about that, I was like, that was the start of my like, what else, what else? <laughs> you know, I'm like just diving in because it opened my eyes to that's why people are drawn to indigenous culture. It's, it's because it's within them too. Like that, yes. those views of all things are living, all things are connected. All, and that's a lot why my people viewed other people's like religious beliefs or ways of life. Like they didn't view it through this like hierarchy of whatever. And we're all going to burn if we don't do this one exact thing. It was more, we're all connected. And so when other cultures would come, like there's also that view of, well, these people are also from the earth. Yeah. And so there was a difference in approach. There was a difference in perspective and there was a massive lack of understanding of destruction. Yes. Couldn't understand the destruction. Yes. But the destruction like of the bison that was to starve the people and so this idea that indigenous cultures didn't have systems and didn't have like there was trade routes there was there was a lot but yeah yeah history is tough it's both good and yeah draining at the same time because it was so beautiful and it's it's gone like so much of that is lost because of the constant take 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 and greed but yes and that's where i think like the age of information and this understanding and awakening like we haven't seen even a fraction of the results of people waking up because like i'm not going to survive long enough to see it all you know and the next next two three four generations the next seven generations like the oh darn i can't think of the name of the tribe the one the government copied for the like 
setting up of the American government. They copied the, uh, oh, it was a matriarchal tribe too. So their political system was from a matriarchal tribe. Really? I can't believe I can't think of the name. But anyways, okay. I'm pretty sure that's the tribe that said to the seventh generation, all our actions that we take right now will affect the next seven generations, like look seven generations ahead. And so like, I kind of wonder how much change there will be. Seven generations, that's a lot of change. So when the seventh generation comes around and they're growing up, what are the results of us being willing to face what we're doing to the planet, to our politics, to our religions, to people? Like, will we have done better? I sure hope so. Sure hope so. <laughs> but it's the first time we've had this much information at the tip of our fingers and this much understanding. So I think if people can approach it with kindness and acceptance and respecting the next generation, Mm-hmm. that'll change things but we'll see okay but there is this idea in mormonism and and in definitely in other religions as well but there's this idea that we're in the last days <laughs> so they are a, yeah they <laughs> are what i'm saying is religions are in their last days the <laughs> form of religion that exists right now will not exist in seven generations Interesting. Yes. But what I think we end up doing with that is that we don't care about preserving the earth and our planet because like, oh, Jesus is coming any day now anyway. So it's everything's going to be rehealed and cleaned up. Like we don't have to try to sustain the planet. I, I embarrassingly, I remember saying stuff like this to my husband when I'd see stuff that was being done to like in the foster care system or Hmm. different things being done, I would be heartbroken and like crying and like, okay, I can't read the news anymore. This was as a member. Um, Obviously I'm like a bit too sensitive and overthinking, but I would say stuff like that. Like, oh, I wish, I wish Christ would just return now. I wish the healing is coming now. So there is that like disconnect of no, it's not going to heal unless we do something about it or unless we're gone. Like, yeah like there's two wants to take responsibility for it or something they just want to be like well jesus is coming so it's fine we don't have to try to save the planet we don't have to try to do anything but uh people that don't identify with any religions is the fastest still the fastest growing religious group interesting and so i you can't you can't fight knowledge and education and even where we were at 20 years ago, you know, like to now yeah, is a massive shift. Yeah. Like if we had the amount of information 40 years ago that we have now, or if we didn't, if we still had that same amount of information 40 years ago and hadn't grown as, yeah. as a people or whatever, yeah, <laughs> I'd still be a member. Ooh, yeah. Like I'd still be a member. So I don't know where I fall on my belief of in a God. I can really get on board with this idea of the earth and all living things and all of us being connected and, and, um, and all of it being kind of sacred in that way. So yeah, to learn, I definitely do not know a lot of things, but I know. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of variety in indigenous, like there's so many different peoples indigenous peoples and their beliefs are all different Mm. but there is that kind of core of connection to the earth and connection to each other and living things and 
What's interesting too is in some of my research learning, you know, I just, as a Mormon, I assumed that indigenous peoples, when they talked about the great spirit, it was automatically male. And learning that Christian colonization affected the gender and that it wasn't always gendered. Mm -hmm. And so just like seeing some of those changes throughout, like, like my, my tribe is mostly Christian now, like the most of my people are Christian. Um, There's like a good amount of people kind of reconnecting and going back towards Mm -hmm. indigenous spirituality and culture and backing away from organized religion. And yeah, it's, it's going to take some healing for indigenous peoples, but I do, I I kind of feel the same way. Like I don't identify the way I once did, Mm -hmm. but there is this love and appreciation for all things, you know, we're all in this together. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, I don't view it the same way that I once did for sure. I, when I first went inactive or I guess, yeah, inactive, I, I wasn't really inactive though. When I first left, cause I went from being super active to okay. we're not going to stay. And within a month of making that decision, just like slowly preparing my kids and my calling and stuff for me yeah. to just be like, all right, we're done. I was the same way. Yeah. For the first little while after that, I was like, I'm atheist. I wanted nothing to do with spirituality or religion. Yeah. And and uh, I, I think I've kind of landed in a similar spot as you of like more, more I, I enjoy spirituality, but not organized religion or all the stories and myths. I think there's values to them that sure. people can enjoy, but it's not for me. Totally. <laughs> and yeah, when I was like processing, going from one extreme to the next, mm-hmm. I, there's this one part that just, I kept coming back to and I had dreams of each of my four kil- children before Ooh. I was ever pregnant. Like, so oh, my first is always like a year before I'd get pregnant. So my first oh. baby was, I want to say she was uh, a week old when I dreamt about my son. And then he was, he was pretty young too, just a, a you know, new baby. When I dreamt about my third child, I had the first three and three and a half years. Oh, wow. And then in that dream where I dreamt about my third child, there was a little girl like four feet behind her. So I dreamt of exactly what they look like and exactly what their gender is. So like the science me was like, I can't predict gender. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah, the way the dreams felt, I don't have any other dreams. Those are the only ones. Like I never had like future. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm very, I'm always very skeptical of yes. But I kept coming back to that. And in my, in my tribe, women would dream about their babies and have dreams of them. And so I, yeah, I kind of went just like, I don't know. I just kind of ended up spiritual, but not non-religious is, is a good way to describe it too. Is, yeah. Me and too. that's, that's an okay place for me. Like nobody else has to be here with me. It's just where I'm at. Right. Totally. <laughs> Okay. So I had kind of a similar, I had a dream, just one. And it was when I was pregnant with my son and I already, we had already found out the gender. We knew we were having a boy. Well, I have this random dream and I'm, I'm changing the diaper of a baby and I can see that it's a girl. And I'm like, that's so weird. Cause I know I'm having a boy, but what I notice in the dream is that as I'm changing her, there's a boy standing next to me. And so 
that dream always stuck with me because then I had three daughters after him. And it was really that third, that very last daughter that I knew because she came eight years after there's a gap of eight years. And so he was, um, how old was he? He was 12. He was 12 at the time. So that was the dream. That was the thing that made sense. I was like, there's another girl anyways. Yeah. So super interesting, but that's the only time that I ever had that. And I, now I have no explanation for that whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Where it was like, well, our family was planned in the pre-existence. And now I'm like, I have no, I have no idea why I had that dream or where that came from, or if it meant anything at all, or if it was just a coincidence or, you know, now it's hard for me to really feel sure about things like that. You know, I'm just like, I don't know. I have no answers now. And I'm actually okay with that. Like I'm totally fine. Not knowing. Yeah, I am too. Like, yeah, I've kind of, I, I learned a lot about my indigenous, like pre-Christian beliefs about that type of stuff and how everything's viewed as circular, like in our Western timeline, there's like beginning, middle, end, you yes. know, and in indigenous cultures, I'm, I'm sure our mind's not the only one it's circular. And so, um, I don't know. I, I just kind of placed it in that space and I don't have to explain it or understand it. Or, you know, people are like, well, what do you believe when you're going to die? I'm like, I'll either be pleasantly surprised or I won't care because I won't be there to care, you know, like, yeah, it's not, I don't know. I'm actually more relaxed than I used to be. Me too. I used to be so stressed all the time. Like yes. I need to do this and this and that. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh. I recently had a conversation with my mom who is still totally TBM. And she's just like, well, how can you have any peace if you don't believe in God? I'm like, no, actually that brings me so much up. more peace than to know that like, if I, you know, to believe that somebody's in charge of this shit show does not bring me peace. <laughs> like if there is somebody in charge, he is failing miserably. <laughs> Seriously. Um, <laughs> oh, and I'm like, it, it placed me living in the moment. Like, yes. like, I'm like, all right, it matters how I what I'm doing and how I'm treating my children and how I right how now today experience just today. Yeah. All we have. Yeah. Instead yeah. of putting off things because oh something will be better down the road or in the next yeah. well even just things I enjoyed. Like I I love art. I love a lot of creating. I love writing fiction actually is more my passion than Ooh, anything. I love that. And yeah. So like I would just put stuff off because everything else was more important because our eternal existence yep. depended on me exhausting myself, yep. doing all these really important things. And not that, not that they weren't important, you know, in some way, but yeah, it's fun. Just like, like even I, when, there was like this deconstructing as a mom of, not feeling guilty when I was like, okay, this is going to be my day off and I'm just going to lay here and watch shows all day. Yes. It was so hard for me. Like I had anxiety yes. taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's, that's not normal. And <laughs> yeah. So of course, eventually I was like, all right, I'm going to start therapy and like working through things that I didn't even realize I was carrying. Oh yeah. And even before I started therapy, I was like, I don't need therapy. <laughs> like, I'm, I've got it. I'm in control. I can do take care of this. But yeah, yeah I think it was a few, 
few years. Oh, I've only been in therapy for like a year. So yeah, it took me five years after leaving to finally be like, you know what? I'll work through some of this. And finding the right therapist mattered. I tried a few before and I was like, no. Yep. Yep. Me too. And it's easy to like get discouraged and to be like, oh, therapy sucks. It's not doing any good, but actually it's just, you haven't found the right fit. Yeah. And not being scared to like, be like, all right, I'm, I'm not coming back. Sorry. You know, send that email and then start looking again. And yeah. 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 I mean, because there's this idea in Mormonism that it would be selfish to like take time for yourself or to explore your own interests and the things that you love, um, or to just rest. Yeah. Well, and I was making sure everybody else rested. Yes. I would make sure my husband had downtime, my kids had downtime and everybody around me was taken care of and I just keep going. Yeah, totally. That's, that's the old me. Thankfully she's gone. (laughs) Thankfully she is gone. Life just feel a lot more relaxed and there's less expectations. There's less shame for sure. Um, there's beating myself up over, you know, whatever. I don't know. I just, it's so much better. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Life is so it's authentic. Much it's authentic. And yeah. you know, I think, I think there can be people that have religious beliefs that are able to live authentic, but I wasn't one of them apparently. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I was so into that. Yeah. How, you know, all those lessons from this time you're 12, mm-hmm. you know, and, and having those marriage lessons as a 12 year old, what? Because so back and I'm like, we had like a wedding dress activity where everybody wore their mom's old wedding dress and stuff. And so, oh, so bad. So, so painful to look at now because, because that's all we had to look forward to. kids and now it's like the world is open to any possibility yeah yeah I'm a little envious of people that are like in college now pre-family because I'm like I was very driven and I had a lot of interests and I do not regret being you know like stay-at-home mom and raising my kids and um, my oldest is 16 now and so like I don't regret any of any of that process 16 yeah yeah it has been it's she's getting she's getting bigger yeah (laughs) she's about to turn 17 oh my gosh but um yeah I don't regret any of that but there is always going to be a part of me that just is excited for people that can go after their interests yes you know as well well, you can recognize that you might have taken different, you might have made different choices. You might have taken yeah. a path. 100%. I had still would have had kids. I still would have. Yeah. I, I'm a romantic at heart. I still would have gotten married and. Yeah. I think I've done the thing, but I. The timetable would have been different. Timetable. Well, my timetable was, I didn't have kids till. Yeah. We were married five years. We, <laughs> we didn't yeah. have kids right away, but. I didn't chase, I didn't chase college the way I would have now. Mm -hmm. I took, I didn't take the things that I wanted to major in and have a full-time job in. Mm -hmm. I set myself up to be a stay-at-home mom. So I took a lot of courses and things that I could work from home so I could support my family from home. And so my love of 
research and science from the time I was little, like I was a little girl and I wasn't asking for all the girl things. I was asking for like microscopes and like all those types of things. So yeah. like I look back and I'm like, oh man. And yeah. I, I enjoy like research and learning things now, but it's not quite the same when I'm, you know, 45 and I'm like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you can go after it. Demands because you have a lot of demands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I never even took the time to really explore what I was interested in or what I was passionate about or to even like give myself the ability yeah. to explore that at all because it was just get married, have babies. I didn't. So now I'm almost an empty nester. My three oldest have all moved out. I just have my 10-year-old. And now I'm like, maybe I should go back to school and maybe I could study this or maybe I could, you know, like, yeah. it, like there's all these possibilities now. So I do love that. And I feel like I have more time now to kind of explore that where I didn't, didn't even think about it before. Like, what am I interested yeah. in? What do I yeah, want? That's actually what, what, what my therapist told me to start working on. She's like, okay, enough of the heavy stuff that you've had to process. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, we're going to give you a break. And I'm like, what? Seriously? Like therapy is supposed to be stressful. So like <laughs> the, last, the last just two weeks, she's making me like keep a journal of my likes and dislikes and the things I enjoy. And like, I'm like, this is fun. Because <laughs> like, it just, it's like it centered me with, oh, this is, this is what I want to spend my time doing. And this You're over getting here. to know you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I knew myself, but I didn't realize how much I buried like, or ignored. Like I, I will acknowledge parts of myself that I love, I love art, but I bury it because of responsibilities, totally. you know? Um, so that's still like a tendency, right? <laughs> it's hard to undo, but yeah, I'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. It's a process. It is a process. One of the things that I definitely, and I don't know if you want to do this now or if you want to schedule another time to talk about it, but I definitely want to talk about the kind of the list that you're making of, you know, the things that the church has done and the things that the church needs to do to change kind of their narrative and their teachings. What, what are your thoughts about that? Do you... Um... I'm, I'm open to either. We could start kind of talking about the things that you had questions on and comments, or we could do a part two. This yeah. was fun. Like it was fun. Just like, yeah, chatting. yeah, I think so too. I usually go in with like all the seriousness. Like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great to just kind of get to know you and have a conversation and then we can kind of get into the weeds a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah too, and talk about some of the specific issues. And um, I think it definitely does need to be talked about what the church needs to do, like the change they need to make. Like it feels, it feels like um, that's where maybe we can make a difference. If we're like, these are the things we're asking for. These are the specific things that we want changed, that we want the church to do. I, I don't, I don't know what that is, but there's this part of me that's like, we have to be productive, <laughs> not just complain about the issues, but like have a path forward of like, here's where we need to go. Yeah. And for some reason that helps me to feel some hope for the future, I guess, to, to like have some, some specific steps to take. 
that we could do. Does that, do you kind of feel that too? Like, is um, that creating this list or? I feel like my list is what I want to see. Mm -hmm. I, I realize that if, if they move forward with anything, it'll be through revelation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not through my wish wish list. Hey, but why not have a wish list? <laughs> I I do think that they're in a hard place, and any kind of space where we talk about changes from an ex Mormon point of view, without it being, let's destroy everything, which yeah is really hard at times. Honestly, yeah. just um, light it all on fire. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And and I definitely feel that when I'm reading about Utah's history. That that's always where I'm just like, nah, take it down. Yeah. But because it's not the leadership I care about, it's the people I care about. Mm -hmm. I think having a a safe safeish list. He can't really have a safe list when you're asking for changes, but yeah. My list while it is what I want from leadership. It's more what I want people to understand about how I feel things should change. It's it's how I want people to view what where what space I'm coming from as an indigenous person who was raised as a Lamanite. Yes. I want people to understand that I'm not coming from space of disrespecting my mom or my siblings who have continued to believe in Mormonism and Lamanite identity. Mm -hmm. But it's a space of respecting the next generations. And this is the change I'd like to see for them. So for me, do I respect the leaders of the church? No, that has to be earned. I'm not, I'm not beyond having my respect earned. Mm -hmm. They've inherited a mess and yeah. they grew up in the same system I did without the age of information. If, if I was 45 years old, 40 years ago, I'd still be a member, yeah. but I'm 45 years old in 2022. Right. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, my respect's not beyond being earned, but respecting the next generation of kids is way more important to me. And yeah. so the list I made, yeah, it's a bit of a wish list of the church needs to do this, but it's not me like demanding it of the leaders. It's me right. saying, this is for the next generation of indigenous kids. If people can't wrap their heads around that and it's taken as offensive or demeaning or whatever, yeah, then they're not respecting the next generation of children, which is not respecting their ancestors either. Right. And we can't really make change happen if, if we can't understand. We're not honoring anybody if we're not honoring children. Yep. No change. <laughs> yeah. That's super important. Okay. So that's a little teaser for um, part two where we're, and we'll, we'll dig in. <laughs> yeah. We'll really dig into that kind of stuff and, and maybe, yeah, just more specifically those things that, that could be changed. And, and I think having like educating members and just anybody who wants to learn more about it. I mean, there's only good can come from that, right? Like understanding and empathy comes when you learn somebody else's life story and their experience and you try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and even just for a minute like you can't and, and that's what I found with like the LGBTQ issue is that when I was kind of forced to um understand it 
as a parent of a child who's dealing with it and like trying to see things from her perspective, that completely opened my heart and my mind Mm -hmm. to all kinds of possibilities, you know, because when you truly understand what the church is asking them to do, it's heartbreaking. You can't accept it. It's like, sorry, that is unacceptable. It's unacceptable for me to try to expect my child to live a life where she cannot experience love and intimacy. Nope, not acceptable. So, and I can't accept a God who would ask that of his children. Like he literally created them in that way. And he expects them to not have love in their life. Like I can't accept that there is a God that feels that way. So it's like everything came tumbling down. So I think it's very similar. Like when you, when you, you know, try to walk in the shoes of a native person and, and hear the experiences from their lips of like, this is what happened to me, or this is how it feels to be told I'm a Lamanite, or this is, you know, and that's why I think it's just so important to speak out. I think the work that you're doing is super important. Even if there's times when you feel like I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. Or even if you think I'm not really an expert in this field, I'm just one person that has an opinion. And definitely you don't speak for all indigenous people. And I think that's important to say, but it's also important to say like, yeah, but your experience matters and it is important to speak out and to say, okay, I am one person and I can share, you know, these stories and for anybody to just be able for five minutes to empathize and to walk in somebody else's shoes, I think only good comes from that. Yeah, I agree. So it's been super, super eye-opening and helpful for me. And even to just like, even the grief that I felt in reading some of your posts and, and gosh, it just opens up your heart and mind to just humanity. And when you see things that are happening or that have happened that are just not okay with you, it's really easy to, to stay in an ignorant space and to not learn the things because it, it hurts. It's, it's, it's hard. And I think that's definitely like, I think it's just human nature to avoid things that are hard and to not want to know more, to not want to have to experience that grief that comes with recognizing what you've, you know, what you've even contributed to. I mean, yeah, I was not around at that time, but me, me choosing to be ignorant about the issues now is thing mm-hmm. to the issue, right? One of my brother, he, he took a class, we were talking about this, you know, the indigenous people of Utah, and he took a class in college um, about that. And he said that he left that class hating his skin color because he was, he was so brokenhearted about what his skin color meant to the indigenous people and like being a white male, you know, and like what we did. And, And he really just took it very personal of like, oh my gosh, this is what I came from. And this is not okay. And I hate this about me, you know, and you kind of went through a phase of feeling that way. See, and I think, I think people need a path of how to support because there is that weight, there is that pain. And that's where it's interesting having been always treated as indigenous, always viewed as indigenous because I'm mixed, but I'm not, I'm not viewed as, as anything, but Indigenous, like living in Texas, everybody speaks Spanish to me that 
crosses my path that speaks Spanish. I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm yeah. viewed as, as a brown person and, but also being mixed and having that, that history in Utah and in some ways having, it's, it's so weird how skin tone, the lighter I am when I'm light, I'm treated differently than when I get really dark. So if I've been swimming all summer, I get significantly darker when I've been out and about with my kids a ton, but I am treated significantly different when I'm really light. Like right now I'm, I'm my indoor self, <laughs> but I've watching my, my husband go through trying to understand these issues and how he even internalized Mormonism in unhealthy ways and how he viewed Lamanites and not even realizing like some of the weight he carries. And then hearing your brother dislike his skin color like breaks my heart because like my husband's beautiful to me, you know, and he's very light, you know, <laughs> like, and I think people need a path of how to heal, how mm -hmm. to like process it. And so I like, I like to use one example that the Germans did because the Germans have a very hard history mm -hmm. of, of what happened with Jewish people and the Holocaust. Like I've thought about them a number of times while I would be learning stuff and, and learning about the Holocaust. I'm like, oh, I have a German uncle. Like how hard is that for him to like have that history with his people or, mm -hmm. um, so it crossed my mind at a fairly young age, but during the last six years of my researching and stuff, I learned that the Germans made it illegal to deny the Holocaust. Ooh. And every single kid learns at school about the Holocaust. And I'm like, we can't change what abusers did because it's not all people, but it is the abusers that did that crap. People that manipulated power and abuse others for their power. And they abuse each other too. Like we talked yes. about patriarchy being power over other men mm -hmm. and power over the women, like over their own culture. Mm -hmm. And it, it really does come down to abusers and not skin color, you know? And I think taking that stand of not silencing history, mm -hmm. not silencing current history that's being made. You know, everybody thinks, oh, like history from a hundred years ago. No, I'm, I'm even talking about now. We're yeah. still teaching the same stuff. Yeah. But simply by, by not silencing history and acknowledging all the things that are done, I have a lot of respect that Germany made it illegal and goes out of their way to teach about the Holocaust. I'd love to see that done in the U.S. Can you imagine every child understanding that there was genocide of this land, like yeah. significantly massive genocide? Yes. Like millions and millions of people died like 60 million plus. So I can't imagine what it would have been like to grow up with the truth and having yeah. people not have to carry it. Like kids growing up now shouldn't have to carry it and be ashamed of being white. Right. The adults should have already done it decades <laughs> ago. And there should be that pride of that's what was done. We can't, we can't ever be like that again. And we can't ever let people like that empower ever again. Isn't it so interesting that we in America can talk about the Holocaust and teach it 
from non-biased perspective of like, this is what happened and not whitewash it. And we can do that because we feel no responsibility to it, right? And And then when it comes to indigenous history, we either don't teach it or we completely whitewash it or change the narrative to make it softer and gentler because it's too hard to just acknowledge what actually happened. And if there is hard stuff taught, it's picked, cherry picked. Yes. Stories. So the religious history issues, the natives that were religious leaders getting arrested, the forcible sterilization, like <laughs> there's so many things. Like my mind just gets flooded with all the things that happened. Mm-hmm. It's rough history. It's well, and I mean, isn't the whole concept of like people coming to America and they wanted to break from the Church of England and they wanted to have religious liberty? But not exactly. Pure Puritans wanted to get away from the there was more acceptance over various religions and they didn't like that. So when you consider the part that America was based on, like started with people that believed in manifest destiny and doctrine of discovery, there is a reason we don't learn about it at school because it challenges religious life in America. Yeah. And politics is so closely tied with religious life in America that that's why that's my suspicion, but Again, not an expert. It's just me overthinking things. So that's my opinion (laughs) on why. And it would also challenge treaty rights and the entire identity of, yeah. Yeah. America being great. Yeah. It's so, it's so, so, so interesting. I mean, there's so many, there's so many facets of it. It's such a complicated issue all the way day one. And I would love, I really genuinely would love to learn just all the things about it. Cause I'm, I'm so fascinated by it, all of it. Yeah. I, I always try to look like more forward thinking, I think because the past is so heavy. Yeah. I, I can't always handle talking about the things that have happened Mm -hmm. when we dig too deep (laughs) about what what it was actually like is very ugly with death and children and women. And yeah, it's not like the, there was wars between full grown men and the United States. It was, it was so often boys fighting these military men with guns, like so many of the people that got killed off. Yeah. It's rough history, but I, I like focusing on like, that path for people to take because it is hard to handle like, like what your brother, how your brother felt and what he faced, just acknowledging the history and doing our own part because we can't wait on schools or politicians. Focusing on like, what can we do to heal? Well, I think Germany's kind of modeled that. Interesting. And And it's not like they're going to be perfect. They're going to still have racism in their country and they're still going to have people that hold on to those old ways. We're going to, we're going to have that here in America. Yeah. But we can look at what some of the other countries have done and nothing's perfect. Right. Nothing's perfect when it comes to the expectation. There's not an expectation. There's, there is an expectation 
of adults to try. Yes. Yes. To do better. Yep. Yeah. Just do better. That's it. That's all. Nobody's expecting perfection. Yeah. That's never even been what. We're not honoring our children by giving them a cookie cutter, a cookie cutter version of our history for them to find out later that they have to hide from their, their children and just passing that on like, oh, that's really ugly. I can't handle that. Why wasn't I taught that? And oh, I can't teach that to my kids. It's going to be too hard for them because of all the shame. Like, yeah, your brother should have never felt that it should have been dealt with decades ago. Yeah, it just gets passed down generation to generation. Yeah. Yeah. All these, all these hundreds of years. So, yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, after this, I'm going to look at my list of things I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a very long list of favorite foods, apparently. <laughs> I was like, well, I like to eat. <laughs> Food is life. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. This was awesome. It's so fun. I, yes, I just, I consider you my friend now. And yes, definitely. Thank you for just so much, all of it, all the things. Sometimes I'm surprised that just the little bit that I've been able to do has made an impact. It's making an impact. Yes. It's huge. It's huge. I'm I'm so grateful for you because it's made a difference for me. So, I mean, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for going through all the trouble of like reading my blog posts and time. Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's like the type of healing that I'm talking about, like that forward motion of just education and we can't change the past, but we can remember it. We can learn from it. Right. Yeah. So that's huge. Well, awesome. Thank you so much. And let's, we're going to meet up next week and we're going to talk about another episode as well. So we'll get, we'll get to all of that stuff. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much. We'll see you. Okay, bye.